Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerzday, May 18th, 2020. On the show today, listener questions, and we have a question for you. And then we look at some new Disney patents. And in our main segment, Jim tells us the history of the Monster Sound Show Theater at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Let's get started by bringing in the man who just signed up for his company's 401k and is a little nervous because he's never run that far. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? This is a serious concern, Len. <laughs> they don't tell you that when you're filling out the paperwork. No, damn it. I have always insisted that if I could get somebody to run in front of me dragging a box of donuts, there's the motivation. I would keep moving. I could do, you know, a 401k. And <laughs> especially since, did you hear, isn't today when the CityWalk component in Orlando is, is opening Starts up? Starts to open, yeah. Yeah, Voodoo Donuts will reopen its doors. And, and Len, I'm strapping on my running shoes, all right? If, if somebody can arrange for a pink box, I'll do it. I'll do the 401k. Yeah, I, I forgot about Voodoo Donuts opening. Uh, and then Disney Springs opens, what, the starting next week? Yeah. And Staged stuff, yeah. Yeah, well, well the third-party participants, and then, as yeah. I understand it, a week after that, and in fact, I guess the Hollywood Reporter is part of their coverage of it mentioned, I think, starting on the 27th, that mm -hmm. supposedly the world of Disney would open. Yeah, and I heard also uh, building inspectors going back to work for Disney. We'll talk about that when we do uh, when we do the news. Okay, cool. But first, Jim, let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Jim, four weeks in a row with a record number of Bandcamp subscribers. Thanks again to all of you who are subscribing. And thanks to new subscribers, Greg D, Juan Delicious, and Jen F, and longtime subscribers, Elise C, Tig's Mom, and Jeffrey C. Jim, back in 1989, because we're on a studio's theme here, these folks invented the first ever college fitness program. That class that Michael Eisner personally named Isometric Magic was actually 30 minutes of shaking tram vehicles by hand over in Catastrophe Canyon on the Backlock Tour. True story, Jim. True story. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Isometric magic. Wow. I spit, I, I spit coffee out when I thought of that. <laughs> I, this, the sad thing is I, I know somewhere in the Team Disney Orlando building, someone's scrambling for a pen right now. <laughs> Post-it note right now. Right Hang now. on. All right, Jim, let's do the, uh, the news. Jim, last week we talked about talking about, but didn't actually review some new patents that Disney has filed. So... I think, like coronavirus, lawyers never stop. <laughs> and in this case, I want to go over a, a couple of them for you. And uh, you can see them here in the document that we're sharing, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. The first one I want to talk about is this thing titled Interactive Autonomous Robot Configured for Deployment Within a Social Environment. So robots around people. And the first thing I want, I want you to describe, Jim, is the drawing that describes what the robot looks like. The one at the bottom, would you say that that is a familiar shape for a robot? Yes. Hello, BB-8. How are you BB today? BB-8, exactly. So the idea, the, the idea for this patent is that you're going to deploy a robot where there are people, and it's got to have a safety system built in so that if things go wrong, right? It falls over, short circuits, whatever. Somebody picks it up and drops it in a bucket of water, mm -hmm. right? That it will change its behavior appropriately, right? It's not going to try and uh, run people over or things like mm -hmm. that. So that's the first patent on it. Okay. The second patent is also similar. It's the same set of drawings with the same BB-8. And it says, interactive autonomous robot 
configured for programmatic interpretation of social cues. So Jim, what does Disney mean here in the context of social cues? Picture you're in a hotel lobby, Len, and you're moving through a space with other guests who are in the process of checking in, checking out, and right. you want all your authentic Star Wars atmosphere. And so how do you do that without actually disrupting the usual business of running a hotel? So this is right. trying to educate these props to understand the space, that it's important to provide atmosphere, but it's important also to not get in the way of the actual operations of the hotel. Right. So it's got to figure out if you're walking up to it, are mm -hmm. you walking up to it because you want to talk to it or are you walking up to it because it's it's between you and the elevator? That's that you need it, exactly. To, yeah. to go to your room. Makes mm -hmm. sense. And then the third one, uh, same sort of title, interactive autonomous robot configured with in-character safety response protocols. So this is uh, one step beyond the social environment thing. This is if things go wrong, mm -hmm. technical failures, what does it do as a safety response? So if something breaks down, it doesn't know how to continue or whatever, mm -hmm. how does the robot tell you that it's stuck mm -hmm. is what I got out of this one. Conversely, though, that supposedly there's a component of the robot that monitors sort of the sound levels of the space. And if, if there's a certain increase in noise, that there's a pause. You know, oh, if, okay, okay. You know, just w with the notion to the effect of if, you know, somebody yells or somebody screams, it's sort of like, okay, let's pause for a moment and, you know, reconfigure, just get a sense of what's going on, and then deliberately stop or then continue with the program. That makes sense. So it's going to be, it'll be context or in that, uh, in that respect. But it's, it's going to be intriguing to see these educated props try to configure the, from the a childish shriek of joy to, you know, <laughs> you just yeah, ran that, over my foot. But I think the thing that this patent shows us is that Disney's really taking the idea of immersive entertainment for the Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel seriously. Oh, they, wouldn't be, they wouldn't be working on these things mm -hmm. if they didn't think it. Speaking of which, though, they're proceeding with the installation of the fabricated sets at yep. Galactic Star Cruiser. So that project is still a go. It, it's not one of the 900 million worth of projects and stuff that Bob Chapek hit pause on. So that's good right. news. So I'd heard that, uh, that that was one of the locations that the building inspectors were going back to next week. So that's good. That's good. Jim, speaking of patents, I've got uh, one more here that I think is interesting. It's mm -hmm. called uh, Localized and Standalone semi-randomized character conversations. And Jim, before I describe this, let me just say that I tried to get Anthony Hopkins <laughs> to read this patent using the words improvisation and revelries. Uh, he was booked, couldn't do it. He's got a full schedule of doing those commercials for fava beans. Yeah. <laughs> so in this patent, it shows a set of plush animals hmm. and robots communicating amongst each other. Uh, the idea here, though, is that you don't want them to say the same thing over and over again. And I joked on the last episode about Teddy Ruxpin, mm -hmm. you know, being sentient here. But in this case, I think Teddy Ruxpin is a good example of what Disney's trying to avoid, where it always had the same response for a given input. And here it's trying to randomize it so that you're not always hearing it say the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. The thing that I like about this patent is, again, it's showing... Uh, Disney is trying to make animatronics with more human conversation, right? And, and, I, and I joke about the whole Westworld thing, but if you think about how Westworld is, right? There, especially in season one, mm -hmm. as the hosts were realizing that they were programmed, mm -hmm. you could see them 
realizing that they said the same the same phrases in in certain contexts. So they had this vocabulary of phrases that they could use, and they would play them over and over again, sort of like what these robots are doing. It's not that far of a stretch. I mean, I think there's a link there between what uh, what we saw in Westworld and what Disney's trying to do. There, no, not at all. I'm just going to be in, kind of intrigued to see if this shows up in the hotel bar. Right. What do you have? There's certain social interactions, you know, that in the real world that are you yeah. know, fairly standardized. And, you know, just it's not that much of a leap to figure, especially in the, the Star Wars universe, to try to, to step into that void. Speaking of the Star Wars universe, the last patent I wanted to talk about is this one that just came out, just was filed a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. And it's titled, uh, Capturing Augmented Reality on a Head-Mounted Display. And... In this patent, the the thing that I thought was interesting was the drawing. So it shows what looks like a, a hotel room. Mm-hmm. And in the hotel room, you can see things like a closet, a lamp. In the distance, there's a chair. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the foreground, there's a bed, you know, and so on. There are walls, you know, and doors and things around. But projected onto that is an augmented display of someone with a sword-like weapon. Mm-hmm. Very well, what's, narrow what's, sword, Lynn. You know, you know, very, very narrow sword. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's the idea here? If you remember in A New Hope, there was that scene on the Millennium Falcon where Luke basically put on a helmet and was battling a a droid or or a flying target, so to speak. And Disney looked into replicating that. And this is sort of the midpoint that they arrived at, that what they can do is while the flying practice dummy, so to speak, it just isn't possible. This, on the mm-hmm. other hand, recreating the helmet, but creating a display inside on the visor where you see the space that you're in and you see the right. figure in the space, you can get your Jedi training in. And that makes sense because if you look above and to the right mm-hmm. of the image yep. that's being projected on this air, there's some sort of gauge, like mm-hmm. a status mm-hmm. that's also being projected with the helmet. So I guess it's how well you're doing fighting? Yes. Ah, okay, okay. Notice where this is being staged. It's back in your hotel room. It's not out in the corridor. It's not out in the lobby or the restaurant. Or oh, that sort right. Of thing. Evidently, when the Imaginers first tested this, that that's Disney legal came down on them like wolves, you know, to the effect of, you know, we can't have guests who accidentally get hit in the head with the $200 lightsaber that they have just right. bought. So this is a vignette that's actually confined to your hotel room. I want to say the helmet display that's in your hotel room that will allow you to do this actually will feature language the effect of this only works in your hotel room oh got it got it, got it. okay so, so they can use uh oh good. yeah right because we've seen other patents with location-based beaconing mm-hmm. systems for storytelling yep. and mm-hmm. assuming that location then is and the beacons are set up in your hotel room then the location would be your, your hotel room that would mm-hmm. make sense yeah ah, okay they got quite a little system going on there that they do and speaking of systems, some two quick more patents. Uh, one is this one called Systems and Methods to Present In-Vehicle Content Based on Characterization of Products. And in this case, we had seen a similar patent around what we thought was Disney's Magical Express, mm-hmm. where at the end of a trip, they were going to show you what we thought would be videos of your vacation, mm-hmm. customized for you as you're sitting in the, the seat of the bus or the little... TV display in the back of the seat in front of you would broadcast highlights of your specific vacation. In this case, uh, this looks to be a car. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking here, 
minivan. Um, but the, the idea is that Disney would identify content uh, specific to you that you have either already done or that you might consider doing. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you get out of this patent? One is that there's the ability to do the highlight reel again as you're, you're driving back to the airport. But there's also the notion of as you turn on World Drive and pass like the studio, you would suddenly get a piece of animation and, you know, to your right is Disney Studios, home of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And, you know, as you continued up the road, you passed Epcot, you'd get a brief teaser for Harmonious. The idea is to sort of mm. you know, set the stage, so to speak. It's kind of the next generation of, you know, the audio you get in a New York cab. All too well, Jim. All too well. Okay. <laughs> It's the same loop played every four minutes or something? Yeah. But, but the difference here would be, we're mentioning, you know, Epcot, by the way, the brand new restaurant that's open there. And and if you are interested, and then in the car would be a touchscreen. Ah, uh, okay, okay. The thinking is you could push reservations that you had at open, res- you know, resorts. In fact, you just drive at Disney World. You, you so you're using the downtime in the minivan or whatever to uh That's it, to exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, and it gives it gives people something to watch too while they're in the uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. while they're in the minivan. Also avoids that awkward conversation with the driver. <laughs> well, you've been on a plane with your family for for three hours at yeah. this point. It's like... let's let's just all sit in silence and watch this TV. There we go. Jim, the uh, the last patent I wanted to uh, to get your take on here before we do listener questions is this one. It's preference implementation system for acting on preferences of facility visitors. I understand all of those words because they're English, but when you put them together, it doesn't make any sense. What what this diagram shows is a facial recognition system for Disney World. And Jim, the thing I want to point out to you is the two ways in which Disney says that they're going to recognize people coming into the parks. One is a magic band. Jim, I'd like you to describe the shape of the sticker that is pasted on the clothing of the person in the diagram. It, it's, a star, it's a star, yes. You know, it's a star, it, it, but it also kind of looks like, do you remember for the millennial, they had those giant interactive, I mean, the, the, they were- the, the pins, the flashing pins, yeah. Uh, well, it, it was a brooch, Len. It was, a, the, it, was it is. Like an inch <laughs> thick and three inches tall. This kind of looks like a next gen of that. Yeah. So the idea here is that Disney's got magic bands, right? Mm-hmm. That identify who we are. Yeah. But apparently- there are some limitations to the system. The idea here is that you would opt in mm-hmm. to a facial recognition system where you would be recognized by your face mm-hmm. by Disney for certain things and through cameras set up throughout the, the entire park. Jim, the thing that I laughed at though when I saw the diagram is, mm-hmm. is the shape of the sticker, the star <laughs> sticker yep. on people's clothing. Because if there's anything that history has taught us, Jim, mm-hmm. it's that if you want to identify a certain subset of the population oh, oh, by putting stickers oh. on their clothing, Oh. Stars oh. are the absolute worst shape okay. to put in, right. right? Anything other than stars, oh. I think, would be fine here. Okay. Um, stars on clothing to identify subpopulations, not not the best thought there, Disney lawyers. But at the same time, to go to another aspect of this diagram, what I love is, is in the bottom right, the notion of, a you know, that they show a family grouping of a husband, wife, and a child. And the interesting thing is they have enrolled, Bob, and then the wife is not enrolled. And then right. I guess the child, Dash, is also enrolled. Is, is also enrolled, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you could you could enroll or not enroll in the facial recognition system. In reading that patent, one of the things that, uh, that I thought was, was especially interesting, too, is... 
They said they've already implemented it. Mm -hmm. It says we've created, not we will create or we could, mm -hmm. right? We have it. Also super interesting. Yeah, no, no, no. I definitely want to see when this one comes over the hill. All right, Jim, let's uh, move on to listener questions. Uh, first one is from Thomas, mm -hmm. who says, Greetings from the West Coast. I've been dying to ask you guys about the massive show buildings visible from inside the Walt Disney World theme parks. Soaring around the world, Tron, Light Cycle Run, and Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind all dominate the skyline. I usually visit Disneyland and don't usually see intrusive sight lines. So my question is, does Disney plan to disguise these buildings somehow? Jim? We've seen some of that already. I want to say... Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, the upper two-thirds of that is painted a fairly light blue with the notion of that will mix in with the sky, which, remember, is the same thing they did with Soaring. You know, the Soaring, right. in effect, blends in, you know, at the right time of day. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't notice the Soaring building as I'm walking around World Ship. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but when you're down at ground level, moving through these spaces, and once you allow for... 10 plus years of you know, tree growth and that sort of thing. I'm always fascinated when people use terms like eyesore. And it's like, mm. really? If you're trying that hard when you're in World Showcase to figure, oh, my visit to the park is ruined because I can see the, the figures from the dolphin and the swan. And it's like, really? You have amazing eyesight because I can't yeah. <laughs> see, see what you're talking about. And, and there's like a billion people around me in boats on the lagoon and that's what you're going to look at? Yeah. I don't notice the Guardians of the Galaxy building unless I'm specifically looking forward. And then it kind of blows my mind how big the building yeah, actually is. Because yeah. even from, from World Showcase, mm -hmm. it's taller than Spaceship Earth. And that's despite the building being a good quarter of a mile back mm -hmm. yeah, from right. Spaceship Earth, which tells, you, which tells you how big it is. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So paint and trees. Is yeah, the we go. Paint right? and trees. Oh. Get a little paint, little tree. What are you talking about? There's nothing there. All right. Uh, next one is a email from our listener, Kaylee, who makes an interesting point about our movie ticket sales discussion from last week. She said, while the ticket sales chart is interesting, keep in mind that many of the older films existed before home recordings. So they were released over and over again. So Fantasia did lose money initially, but ran in theaters up until the early 1990s. And I recall going to see classic Disney movies in theaters as, as an 80s kid before we had a VCR. Even Star Wars had different versions that saw multiple theater runs and all of those ticket sales over the decades add up. Uh, I don't think newer movies will ever break to the top of the ticket sales list because of how quickly they've seen home releases and it makes modern movies that are high on the list particularly impressive. It's a good point. Absolutely. In fact, when you look at Lion King from 1994, if you head over to say Box Office Mojo, they do try to break out. So this is how much the movie made theatrical in 94. This is how much it made when they released the IMAX version. And I want to say right. 99, 2000. I mean, there's an effort made to sort of differentiate. But still, I was fascinated by the, the, the titles that popped up on that list. I would have never thought 101 Dalmatians did as well as it did, as you mentioned on that list. Right. I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have thought it either. All right. A uh, question from Joe who asks, do you think the parks and hotels will go back to some sort of normalcy in about 18 months? or whenever the vaccine for COVID-19 is ready. Do you think that social distancing norms will be relaxed by then, allowing for typical, cr typical crowds at all theme parks in the world? Personally, I think places like buffets are a thing of the past, but everything else should be fine. And uh, the buffet thing is, uh, is particularly poignant because we uh, we heard last week that the buffet chain uh, Sweet Tomatoes yeah, is closing because yeah. they said uh, there's no there's no place for a self-service buffet in the... Uh, 
in the world we're in now. Yeah, in fact, it's important to point out that that also includes the soup plantation outfit, right. which I had friends who insisted that the tomato soup was just this side of ambrosia, and it was just. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I like the sweet tomatoes though. There was one in uh, there was one in Kissimmee mm-hmm. that uh, I used to go to all the time. Yeah, uh, it's so hard to predict what will be the norm on the other side of this. If they do, in fact, at some point find a cure or a vaccine or that sort of thing, suddenly it's like, oh, the hot new you know, idea in food. It's a buffet. You can serve yourself. Self-serve buffets. It's going to be all the rage. Yeah. I'm really interested to see what happens in Vegas. Yeah. yeah. I've been tracking that because, of course, the overlap with Orlando. And I want to say it's the, the frontier that's begun doing things like installing Plastic shields between, you know, the plexiglass between players at the blackjack tables. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, I'm all for that. I was always for that pre-COVID too, though. You know, I mean, (laughs) yes, it was always enjoyable to go to a Vegas with with Len inside of his bubble, you know, just hamster (laughs) bubbles. Rolled through the streets. (laughs) Like very specific things and too much stimulus. Not not good for anyone. Okay. So that was a listener questions. But but now I have a question Mm -hmm. for our listeners. So we've all tried to do a super cheap Disney trip at one time or another. So for you listeners, what are the things that you did to save money on a Disney vacation? Did you sleep eight people in a room? Did you eat ramen noodles for breakfast? What was it? Send us an email and tell us. I, Jim, I will tell you this story mm-hmm. as, I, as I get started. Have I ever told you the time that my Taco Bell food got stolen? No. So uh, on a trip with my twin sister, Linda, mm-hmm. Uh, one time, we decided that we would save money at the end of our Disney trip by spending the last night off-site. So I think we stayed at Caribbean Beach or something mm-hmm. for the trip. But the last night before we drove home, we were going to stay at a you know a, a motel in on International Drive. So we get deposited at the hotel, and the first thing that we know is off. Jim is <laughs> number one: the yellow police tape around the lobby and the bullet holes in the window. Oh. And then so we walk in, mm-hmm. uh, and the attendant behind the, the counter, the manager says, uh, you know, just a little bit of a misunderstanding the day before. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. Um, apparently they tried to, to rob the place. Mm-hmm. And then the next question that they asked us was, do you need a room with a safe or no? Because apparently some of the rooms in the, the safes in the rooms had been stolen. <laughs> Moderately interesting. All right. So we, okay. we get settled mm-hmm. in the room, right? And there was a safe and everything. So we, we go out to dinner and we, there's a Taco Bell like across the street and mm-hmm. It's crowded full of people. It looked like a lot of them were using the Taco Bell as a combination place to stay during the day slash shower bathroom. Mm. So we, my sister and I order, order our food and there's no one ahead of us in line. And, you know, they, like you go to the end of the, you order the food at one side of the counter, you go to the other side of the counter um, and you pick up your food. And we're waiting there and a gentleman comes up and picks up his order and then leaves. And like 10 minutes go by and other people's orders get processed and we realized that we haven't got our food because we're still sitting there. So we asked the manager, you know, hey, you know, what, what happened to our meal? And they said, oh, you know, we put it out here about 10 minutes ago. And then they look around and, they, and he said, and that guy picked it up over there. And so apparently what happened is the people who were using the Taco Bell as a lobby would randomly go up when a number was called and pick up the food and start eating it, figuring that no one was going to, to complain about it. So the manager said, yeah, it happens all the time. And they give us new food. Wow. <laughs> and that gave me the idea that I should go back to that Taco Bell for free food. No. Uh, but that was that was one of the trips where we decided that we would save some money and, and the interesting stories resulted. 
when I first went to Disney World, I actually, my, my first time I stayed out on 192 and, you know, just would troop across the street to like sort of a, the gas station. It was one of these things where it was mm -hmm. like, oh my God, all these years I've heard about Dolly Madison products and finally here's one in front of me. <laughs> and then it was the notion of who is this Mr. Pibb and, you know, what is this beverage he has created? And that weird thing is I, I can't necessarily tell you what attractions I went on, but I got Dolly Madison and I got Mr. Pibb. So, hey. Mr. Pibb. Mr. Yeah. Pibb. Isn't that like, it was like a Dr. Pepper knockoff, right? Yeah. His lesser known cousin who evidently had access <laughs> to the recipe. The, the Pib family. <laughs> the Pib family. So. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Jim tells us the history of the Monster Sound Show Theater in Disney's Hollywood Studios. We'll be right back. I remember the Monster sound show as one of the great attractions early in the history of Disney's Hollywood Studios. But there's more to the theater than just that one attraction, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, what was fascinating, at least to me, is that how many times over 31 years now it changed to reflect certain agendas at the park. But first and foremost, we, we have to pay tribute to the original show, the Monster Sound Show, uh, created by Mike West who has since gone on to Universal Studios and is doing great, great work over there. He's the guy behind the Simpsons ride. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, Skull Island, Reign of Kong. But it was the, the whole notion of when they announced the project in 85, that they were going to build the studio, the Imagineers went over to Universal to sort of get the lay of the land of a studio theme park and realized that pretty much the same way as the folks at Universal had realized. Filmmaking is boring, Len, the actual process, so to speak. So Mike spent a day wandering around the studio and eventually came across all of the sound equipment that Jimmy McDonald, he was the, the head of the sound department at Disney, started in 34 and was still on the job 50 years later. And wow. Mike looked at the stuff and realized, this stuff is actually kind of hard to operate. It gave an opportunity to do something hands-on. And so he right. came up with the conceit for the Monster Sound Show. The Monster Sound Show actually helped Disney right off the bat when it came to MGM deal with a, a pretty significant problem in that, you know, for a park that celebrates the history of Hollywood, they didn't initially, with all of the properties they acquired from UA and MGM and that sort of thing, they didn't have any horror films lined. Really? Yeah. The only thing that came close to horror was the monster from Alien, which uh -huh. had, had already been sort of requisitioned for the great movie, right? So right. this is going to be the monster sound show. So if anybody says, hey, what about horror films? Say, over there, the monster sound show. Monsters. Yeah. And the, the, the thing that I loved about the film, I watched it. I watched a an old clip of it mm -hmm. as we were preparing for the show. Yep. Was the cast that they got oh, yeah. for their movie. Chevy Chase is the is the bumbling door-to-door -door salesman. Right. Who wanders into the lair of Martin Short. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. But it, it, it's Martin Short by way of, of Igor and Quasimodo. Igor. I love, you know, the walkie effects, you know, just you know, in fact, the, the, the wonderful moment where he actually stops and pulls, what, a thread out of the carpet before resuming the... The thing that I loved about participating in the show, and I, and I got to do it a few times, mm -hmm. was that one of the, the tasks that you had to do if you were selected mm -hmm. to play the show is not only uh, figure out which sound effect tool to use. And I think there were things like walking on gravel mm -hmm. and there were 
pieces of wood you had to bang together to be like a door knocker and what mm-hmm. but you had to synchronize it oh. so that when they when they gave you your cue mm-hmm. to use the sound effect you had to hit that mark yep. and if you didn't if you were off by you know a split second or whatever it made the film that much funnier it did it did and the brilliance of the way mike set this up was that you had to race back and forth through the performance space to get to the. Oh various- yeah, it was a little. It was it was a workout. When you signed on as a cast member to be Monster Sound Show, you had to show up at, at five o'clock in the morning, and they would put you through your paces to teach you the exact way you had to move through the space to do all of the sound effects perfectly in sync. So you know the idea was that you did it so many times it became effortless. And so again, when the audience members stepped in, they looked that much more inept not realizing that you are getting a full workout more moving back and forth, you know, that, you know, got to hit the door knocker, which is, you know, to the extreme left and then run over and stand on the gravel, which is the stream, right? This was all deliberately set up by Mike in an incredibly fiendish way. But at the same time, because it was funny when somebody missed the door knock or when somebody missed getting to the mic and making the noise. (laughs) Yeah, that was a that was a let's uh, let's pause here. Maybe Aaron can throw a couple of seconds of the old monster sound show uh, audio into the uh, into the show. So let's pause for a second. Number one, your first name is Sam. Sam, you are going to be recreating the sounds of rain and thunder. So you'll give this barrel a gentle push and the thunder a gentle shake. Also, you have the chandelier crash, the sliding peephole, a crackling fire in the fireplace, an inside door knock, an outside door knock, a door closing, and lastly, the sliding library. Doors. Now, Sam, it's real important that you hit every one of these effects right on time. You got it? Yes. Good luck. <laughs> and in station number two, we have Jack. Jack, you're going to be in charge of our electronic console. <laughs> now, because these effects are electronically reproduced, you won't be able to hear them during the recording process, but if Jack hits all the right buttons, you'll sure notice them on the playback. Now, Jack. That's not all, because you're also going to be in charge of providing the voice of Martin Short's character, the evil Simon Weir. So let's give the folks a little preview of Simon's groan. I can do that. I can do that. Feel the terror, folks. The show finishes up. And then only four members of the audience have had the opportunity to do the monster sound show. But as you move into the post-show, the sound works. There's all of these hands-on displays, and you could go to one station, and with, using a set of coconuts, you could, you know, recreate the hoofbeats of the, the, the steed that the Headless Horseman rode in The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. The one thing that people really seem to remember today was the sound station, where you'd enter a small booth, you'd sit down, put on a set of headphones, and then you'd proceed to have this, the technology, it's actually called binaural sound technology. Yep. And the idea is you create a 3D, you're listening to this, this recording that actually creates a 3D experience. And in this case, you were supposedly the head of the studio on a very busy morning. So before your first appointment, the studio barber comes in and gives you a quick trim and you can actually hear. And, and the weird part of it is the because clippers. You, yeah. Yeah, you could almost feel them. This guy's great, RJ. He's a little clumsy, but he knows how to do a good job. Good morning, all. <laughs> good morning, Ken. Just a trim for RJ today, a little off the sides, and shape out the back, okay? Well, whatever you say. Oh, that's all right. That's Sorry. all right, Ken. I'll pick them up. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. 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 
Jamie Bean's office, Hampton speaking. Yes? Okay, I'll let RJ know about it. Thanks for calling. That was the agency. Apparently that new director is a bit of a flake, but I think he's got some good ideas, RJ. The SoundWorks audio that I that I have is the master audio from the show. Uh-huh. And when I listen to it yep. with good headphones, yep. the hair on the back of my neck stands up <laughs> at, during this one sequence. It's that good. I mean you could it, it, it vibrates like the audio makes your makes your head vibrate from the clippers. And and what's so so funny is I, I once got to chat with Wayne Alwyn. He described the setup at Imagineering, where what they did is they basically created the physical bare bones. There were four walls, a door, a desk, and a mannequin. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is that the mannequin <laughs> had had its head hollowed out in the left ear and the right ear. There were these two very powerful microphones. Ah, okay, okay. Wayne, who was there for the the shoot, talked about how what was so weird is they had the equivalent of a mohawk on the mannequin's head so that when the person stepped behind it who was playing the barber and cut the hair, they were really cutting hair between the two oh, microphones. But it, I didn't know that. But again, it had it, 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 a mohawk so there would be no hair you know, draped over the, the microphones themselves. <laughs> that that's the additional detail that makes that story great. Yeah. It, it wasn't just it wasn't just a mop top. It no, was a mohawk. It was a mohawk. Yeah. <laughs> well anyway, this was kind of the proof of concept of, of binaural sound. And the notion was that you know, wow, this thing, you know, people seem to really enjoy this, and it really, you know, so let's try to walk it out to other attractions in the park. And and for a time, they did. They made an effort. The extraterrestrial alien encounter, uh, the harness you pulled down over your head had a, a binaural setup. So that's right. you know, when you felt the monster slobbering up behind you, you know, part of that was the sound profile. You and I have talked about when they tried to use this for uh, the update of Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln at Disneyland from 2001 to 2005, they actually shoehorned the haircut into this as well. When you went to Matthew Brady's studio to have your photo taken, he said, oh, hey, son, you know, you're looking a little shaggy. Let me cut your hair. And so you you had the same trim behind the ears thing. And he says, again, creepy Lincoln. That They just found that it, it the, the binaural technology just put people off you know that it was a little too intrusive it was a little too into- in that in that ride yeah but again you know the, we talked about how flexible this space was at the parks mm-hmm. and so for example after uh, a number of years of the monster sound show being the, in there you got to remember that disney buys abc cap city in august of 1995 and word goes out look can we spend 19 billion we need to get this stuff at ABC in the park. So uh, starting in 97, Monster Sound Show goes away, and then there's a one Saturday morning show, which... I remember the one Saturday morning. Yeah, yeah. And it was pretty much the same setup. I mean, the idea was you were putting effects into a cartoon that would be part of this new Saturday morning lineup on ABC. It's just that they're trying to be good corporate citizens. They're trying to get ABC in the parks. Not quite as successful as they had hoped they would be. Yeah, that didn't last very long, did it? A couple years? Two years. And there's nobody hotter on ABC in 1997 than Drew Carey. Uh, He has his Drew Carey sitcom that started in 95, and they've just launched the, uh, the American version of Whose Line Is That Anyway?, Drew's a theme park fiend. He loves the Disney theme parks. So Imagineering is like, oh, no, this is perfect. And in fact, because Drew is so likable, 
maybe he'll be the one who can overcome the creepy binaural problem. And so we then get the Sound Dangerous show where we, we lose the Foley moment, but we, we everybody gets to wear a pair of headphones. And the gimmick is he's wearing a spy camera that cuts out and then you get this amazing presentation of 3D sound that tells you what's going in on. In the dark. In the yeah, dark. The, the, the entire theater is in the dark mm -hmm. for most of the show. Yeah. yeah. The thing that I remember from this, and Aaron, Aaron can shoot this... Uh, this audio in, mm. it's uh, it's of the bees buzzing around you. Oh, yes. When yes. he drops a jar of, <laughs> in, in some scene, he goes into a into a closet or something, and he drops a jar full of bees, <laughs> and you hear the bees escaping. Hello. Moreno, the code word for the next shipment is elephant. And watch your back. Some idiot detective is snooping around. I'm no idiot. Oops. What was that? That would be the killer bees. Foster, get out of there. Oh. Hey, now I remember Johnny Marsconi. They did a great job, opened in, in 99, ran right up into 2009, where it be, then became a seasonal attraction. And then we start to see Disney using this flex space in, in interesting ways. In fact, it's kind of fitting, given that Drew had done the Whose Line Is It Anyway improv show. Because remember, starting in 2011, that's when we got the Comedy Warehouse holiday special show in there. Right, so it was an it was an improv show shown just over the holidays. Did you ever did you ever go in and see this? Well, the thing is, it would only run for a week, Len. The idea was it was put into the park to provide additional seasonal entertainment during the yep. time when the Osborne family spectacle of dancing lights was up and running. So it was in there for like five years, and then. Starting in 2015, the facility actually started to transition because, again, Disney had bought Lucasfilm uh, in mm -hmm. October of 2012 for $4 billion. So just ahead of The Force Awakens arriving in theaters in December of 2015, we first see, what is it, the Jedi Academy uses the entrance of the Sound Dangerous Theater uh, for the check-in point for the, the Jedi Academy show. And then yep. in November of that same year, they switch over to Star Wars Path of the Jedi to sort of set up the uh, Force Awakens film that'll be opening in December. Starting in 2016, that's when Ground Breaks for Galaxy's Edge and the Osborne Family Lights and Streets of America goes away. But again, to show how flexible this space is, uh, we jump ahead now to 2020. And, mm -hmm. you know, we have those wonderful Paul Ruddish Mickey Mouse shorts that are shown on the Disney Channel. But the concern was when uh, Kevin Rafferty and crew were building the, the new Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway to go into the Chinese theater. The, the concern was that, wow, I don't know, is our, the older guests of the park actually know this version of the characters. So of, of Mickey Mouse, right? Yeah. So they turned the old Sounds Dangerous Theater into the Mickey Short Theater, where they show the perfect vacation, I want to say. Yeah. It's a mashup of uh, four or five, maybe six yeah. uh, individual Disney uh, Mickey Mouse cartoons into one 
semi-new kitchen. If you look back over the years, this theater has serviced so many different agendas at Disney. It's like, we need a horror attraction at the park. Okay, it's the Monster Sound Show. <laughs> you know, uh, we need a way to pump ABC. Okay, it's, it's you know, one Saturday morning. It's, it's you know, the Drew Carey. We need a way to promote Star Wars. Okay, it's Path of the Jedi. And now, just to make sure that older people who, why is Mickey behaving so strangely? Oh, well, you should probably go see those shorts over there. It's interesting that it functions as a pre-show completely outside of the building in which oh, the yeah. show it's supposed to inform you about yeah. exists. Yeah. We were just talking about uh, how the, the, the Intergalactic Star Cruiser Hotel is going forward. Work is continuing on the California Adventure version of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. So, uh, Oh, that's good to hear. That dodged you know, the, the $900 million bullet. Anyway, so there you go. There's a Reader's Digest version of the Monster Sound Show space. And now I really want to go watch Martin Short be a hunchback again. <laughs> it's on YouTube, Jim. It's on YouTube. Okay. All right, folks. That's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. Some of those upcoming exclusives will tell you about a secret 1972 memo that Jim found detailing the rides Disney was planning to build in Orlando. And we've talked about these, Jay, but they're really, really good stories. Absolutely. And you can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, whose ballet about the glory of Aztec culture will be featured at Utah Folklore Fest 2020, October 10th at Westminster College in beautiful downtown Salt Lake City. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. Welcome to our little game of hearing that we call Audio Antics. I'm going to create some environments using sounds that happen all around you. Only I'm going to include some familiar sounds you may think belong in each scene, but really don't. Using only your sense of hearing, let's just see. <laughs> I mean here. If you can guess what's wrong with each picture, This first one, a dark and stormy night. Have you figured out what's wrong yet? Yes, there was wind. And thunder. Frying bacon. Ow! Hot! Now that you have the idea, let's try another one. This scenario is called Fourth of July. This crowd is watching fireworks, right? Take away the real effects, and they end up watching popcorn. <laughs>